Well, um, welcome. My name's Nate. If we haven't met one of the leaders here, I'm excited to open the scriptures with you for a few minutes. Um, and so why don't you go ahead and open up to John chapter 16. And when you find John chapter 16, say, I'm there. And then we'll get the party started. Okay. If you're new to the Bible, John is kind of near the back. It's what we would call one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all different angles in, camera angles in on the same story, the person of Jesus, uh, God with us. And so we're going to read from John. The last few weeks we've been doing some one-off teachings. We wrapped up a series, uh, or a part of a series, excuse me, in Romans. And last week, Brian shared. The week before that, Steve shared. Uh, this week, you get to listen. You get, sorry, that's just like arrogant. You get to have to listen to me. Um, you get to listen to me. So um, anyway, and then Jose's going to be back, I think, next week. Is that right, Brandon? Jose's back next week. He's on vacation with his wife doing their anniversary trip. And so um, let's begin in John 16. Look down at verse 16, starting in 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand anything that Jesus is saying. So Jesus, verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me? A lot of redundancy here. Verse 20, truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Uh, some of you may be familiar with a, a guy named Tim Ferriss. He's written a couple popular books and um, Four Hour Work Week and Tools of the Titans. And one of his newer ones is called um, Tribe of Mentors. And I just got it recently. And what he does is he, he's a big research guy. And so he comes up with questions and then he asks people that are uh, excelling in their different fields, whatever it is, sports, psychology, medicine, I mean, just whatever, business. And then he shares what they give to people that are on similar paths in life. And then the hope is to, you know, grow. And in this last book, The Tribe of Mentors, he comes up with 11 questions and he puts them in a certain order. And the seventh question really struck me. And it was um, this. It was, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? What belief behavior or habit has most improved your life. Now, behavior and habit are really common. He talks about those things all the time because he's recognizing that people that are, um, I guess we could say in the eyes of the world or whatever, but people that are just generally successful are people of habit or routine for the most part. And so he's talking about that a lot, but he doesn't use that word belief very often. So it struck me as pretty unique. And so he was asking these people, these high achieving people, um, what they'd come to fully accept as reality, and because of that, their life had changed. And I couldn't help but think, as a community of people learning to follow and enjoy Jesus and learning to experience life in Jesus, um, we can all expect Jesus to change the way that we think and that we live. And uh, a mentor, a teacher of mine at Western Seminary, he says, we're not just, we're not, our goal isn't to just put our faith in Jesus, 
though it is incredibly important, that's the, the access point. But it's not just to put our faith in Jesus, but to have the faith of Jesus. In other words, the things that Jesus took as reality from his father, it dictated the way that he lived, right? And so, yes, we believe Jesus is the son of God, that he died, he was buried, he resurrected. We believe the things that are true, and that is absolutely critical. But we don't stop there. We move from there, and we we grow in the faith of Jesus. We learn the things he learned, and then we allow it to change us. And kind of like what Tim asked these people I think today's text is one of these amazing opportunities where Jesus offers a, what I would call a kingdom principle, meaning it's how the kingdom of God operates. And so uh, today, as we read through this, I think if we allow ourselves to, setting our opinions and our fears aside, I think it has the power to change the way that we live and think um, dramatically. And so Jesus says, your grief will be turned to joy. So why don't we pray and then um, we'll keep going. Sound good? All right. Jesus, thank you so much uh, for being here with us. And um, thanks that we're not just floating through life trying to figure this out, but you've given us the scriptures as a storybook and as really just a reality book of what's most true, regardless of what we think or how we feel. And so we want to line our lives up with you, Jesus, and with the scriptures. And so today, would you speak to us in ways we can understand, ways that would allow us to and be encouraged to take another step towards you? We know that your posture towards us is inviting and welcoming. And so here we are as your family, uh, ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Uh, I think we've all experienced some level of pain or grief, um, chaos or death or difficulty, whether it's internal or external, relational or financial, uh, whether it's feeling alone, feeling abandoned, betrayed, um, potentially some of us just wrecked with fear of not being able to control or change a situation, all these things that we might put into the junk drawer of this idea of grief. And um, the first thing I want us to catch is that Jesus totally embraces the reality that we're all going to know grief. And it's not something that we are looking to completely avoid. It's not something that makes you a, a quote-unquote bad Christian if you grieve. You know, you've got to have hope. You, you don't, don't actually feel sad. Grief is part of the reality that we live in. And, and Jesus, is, he, he, he says that. I mean, he, he goes right from what he, excuse me, his, his statement is your grief will turn to joy. So he's right out of the get-go from, for today on what we're looking at. He's embracing the fact that we're all going to experience grief at some level. And um, in our text today in John 16, we're offered an inside look at a talk that Jesus gave his followers where he shares a kingdom principle with them or an explanation of how to live in his kingdom and how to think and how to follow him in their moments. And he says, your grief will turn to joy. Uh, My wife and I last night were, um, sorry that this is kind of a heavy teaching. It is going towards um, light, good things, but we got to set it up because it's just reality. And uh, as I was praying over the last couple weeks about what to teach on today, this is it. So some of you might be in grieving spots. This is for you. Uh, For those of you who are not there, put it in your back pocket um, because it's a reality. Um, But last night, my wife and I were talking about some friends of ours. Um, He leads a church in Tualatin area. 
and his, they have a two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, and their wife, his wife um, got pregnant seven-ish months ago with twins, and so they were so excited. And uh, not too long ago, one of the twins um, passed away inside of her, and there was complications. Uh, a little bit of time passed, so they're grieving. The other one's still fine, so there's some hope or whatever, and, but they're grieving. And then they go in for another appointment and come to find out something went wrong and maybe it was oxygen limited to the brain or something. But it, it got this other child, this boy, um, he, he's not going to be able to develop the way he's supposed to. Now he's alive, he's kicking, they feel him, she's showing and everything. She only has two and a half more months to go and they feel every night the kicks, but um, the doctors say because of how the brain's forming, he probably won't. Uh, make it post-birth. Now, these uh, friends of ours are just in, they're in hell. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm a guy, I, I can't know, uh, Hillary and I were talking about this last night, I can't know what it's like for you ladies in, in that type of situation, um, but our friends are grieving, and grief is real. Um, recently, I was in a hospital with two friends, and their family, one of the, one of the young people in their family is just in kind of this, um, attemptive suicide cycle, and so hospital and home, and then these, you know, cycles over and over, that family is in grief. That's, you, they can't change it. It's, they try and do all the steps, but it's grief. It's what Jesus says is a reality sometimes. Um, one last one, and it has to do with our cat, and don't judge me, we do have a cat. Um, I was in the, the vet the other day taking our cat. Our cat likes to eat stuff um, that it's not supposed to eat. So in January, our cat ate a strip of leather. This is a small cat. Um, and, it, it, and then it got wedged in its intestines, you know, and so it, was, it couldn't pass anything. So we had to have surgery. It's an expensive cat. And, um, but I was in there because just last week she did it again, we thought, because she was starting to throw up. And... Um, so I sat for four and a half hours in the, in the Dove Lewis veterinary and whatever emergency. And I just sat there. And after about an hour of being kind of like, oh my gosh, how long is this going to take? I thought, you know, every moment is a moment where God can speak. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to just embrace this moment and just sit here and be aware and um, allow God to, to speak if he wants to speak. And so sure enough, about an hour goes by after that. And a really older, older gentleman um, comes in probably late 80s or 90s, but I mean, he was in good health, but you could tell he was older. And he was carrying a cage, and he had a cat in there. And uh, it kind of looked like a little werewolf, but he had a cat in there. And uh, you could tell he put it up, and it, he, he, I just kind of overheard, you know, him talking to the gal at the front and having tr trouble breathing, the cat is. And so they took him to the back, and then he was gone for half hour or whatever. And then they came out of the room, and I could kind of overhear. And she said, hey, I think, um, whatever his name was, hey, so-and-so, I think... Um, do you think today's the day? And, uh, you know, tears in his eyes, and he's like, yeah, I think so. And, yeah, it's a cat, but for 20 years, I had heard 20 years, 20 years he was this friend with this animal. And if you have an animal, you, you know the connection there. And so for him, he was grieving. So grief is just, it's, it's scattered. It's just littered everywhere. Um, and so what do you do in moments like this? We all step into them at some point, at some level, um, and so how do you process it? What do we do to hold on in those moments to not just give up? And I think that's exactly what Jesus is helping his disciples and now us grow in. He says your grief will turn to joy. So let's do some context work um, about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So John 16, Jesus specifically is speaking to his disciples. 
Remember, the scriptures were stories written to a certain people in a certain time in a certain place. They weren't written to us directly. I mean, they were written to God's family, but there were real people involved. They're not just like, um, you know, noble parables in the sense of they apply to everyone, but they were, they were actual moments. And so in this actual moment, we can learn, we can be taught by the Spirit through it, but Jesus was speaking to his disciples about their immediate future. And if you know the... Um, kind of the meta-narrative of the Gospels, Jesus has been around for about three-ish years, and he's called these people to him close. Uh, specifically, there were three boys that were really close to him, and then 12, and then there was another group of 72, and then some more. And um, so people were following him, and they were, literally f- they were literally following him in the sense of when he took a step, they would take a step. When he did something or thought a certain way or, s- or approached a situation a certain way, they would receive that and begin doing that as well. And so the goal of a teacher or a rabbi was to actually make little use. And that's where Christian came from. Christian literally means um, like little Christ. So as people followed Jesus, the Christ, they would become like that. Now they wouldn't become like the Messiah, but in their world and in their faith, they would be more of the person God's called them to be. So these people are following him for years and he's speaking to um, his 12 disciples. Let's pick up in verse 19. Chapter 16, John In verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I uh, meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep. If you have a pen, I'm going to encourage you to underline every time Jesus says will. Um, A friend of mine pointed this out. Um, She said, it's amazing I'm going to paraphrase, but she said, it's amazing how many times Jesus says will, and will's not like a kind of maybe word. It's a, this is going to happen. And if God is Jesus and we believe he is, then when he says something, it's going to happen. And so look how many in this next section here, we're going to read through verse 22. Look how many pointed statements Jesus makes. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. He's speaking about his crucifixion that's about to come up. You will grieve But your grief will turn to joy. It's not just a one-sided coin. You're not just going to grieve. Life's just going to be blah. There's a whole other side. It will turn to joy. Verse 21, he gives a picture. Just like a woman giving birth to a child who has pain because her time has come, but when her baby comes and is born, she forgets all that anguish, that pain, because her joy that that child is to the world. Verse 22, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. So Jesus, um, if you are, again, if you're familiar with the story, he's teaching, um, they recognize, oh my goodness, he's actually saying that he's God with us. Jesus literally means Emmanuel, God with us. And so they begin getting to the point They want to want to believe this, but they're beginning to get to the point where they actually do believe it. And now he says, I'm going to go away, which leaves them totally in a disarray, not even sure what to do. So he, he, he does. He allows himself to be handed over to people who are hating him. He doesn't fight back. And all of a sudden, he ends up on a cross and he dies. So you can imagine if you go with me in your mind back to the disciples all gathered together, their minds are blown and they're now in a moment in time of total grief. I mean, they've just built their, they've handed everything off. They've built their worlds around this Jesus guy. And now all of a sudden, this Jesus who was God is dead. He said a whole lot of weird things they don't understand before death. And they're just 
they're in grief. They're totally perplexed. So three days passes, Jesus is buried in a tomb, and Mary Magdalene, one of his followers, sprints to the tomb, and all of a sudden, Jesus isn't there. There's a, you guys know the story, there's some, um, the stuff he was wrapped in is there, and at the head of where he was laying, some translations use the word napkin, others use the towel that was on his face, wrapped on his face, but it's folded at the head of where he was laying, and Jesus is not in the tomb. And um, this isn't black and white, yes, no, but a lot of scholars um, tie it back to a tradition because um, it's such a weird detail. You ever wonder about the weird details in scriptures? You're like, why did they include that in the text? That's what commentaries are fun for because you can, in two seconds, you can learn something that took someone a lifetime of research to figure out. Um, <laughs> me. And so um, I'll just do the easy work. And so there's this thing folded in Hebrew tradition, um, in this time, it's said that potentially when you went over to someone's house, if their meal was really terrible or they offended you or you went over to do a deal with them and it went sour, what you would do is you'd politely at the end of the meal take your napkin and fold it and put it on your plate. And that was a symbol of saying, I'm never going to come back and have a meal ever again which is the weirdest thing ever, right? Nowadays, we just don't respond to the text. But, um, <laughs> but like, John includes this detail a little bit later in the stories, if you, if you flip over. When Mag- Mary Magdalene looks in the tomb, there's this towel thing, and oh my gosh. I, it's, it, again, it's not black and white, but it's potential that it, it's a picture, it's a symbol that Jesus never has to go through this again. He's done. He did the death thing, and he is out of there, and he is done with that, and it's completely... And it's amazing. And so she's like, what is going on? And what is that? does that mean anything? And so she runs back. She tells the disciples they're not really believing her, but a couple of them run to the tomb. And so um, the big idea here is, is this, and it'll be up on the screens. Resurrection is the key to Jesus' promise. Jesus' promise is your grief will turn to joy. It will turn to joy. That's a promise, right? The key to make that happen was his resurrection. Something happened in history and in time where Jesus' resurrection literally changed reality as we know it. In Revelations, it says that the lamb was slain, Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. And so God knew that this was going to be necessary to change reality. And so here it is. It's taking place in space, in time. Jesus has come back from the dead. And so this text was for the disciples Um, It was a specific moment in a situation, but I think it's also Jesus sharing a kingdom principle about how to live in our moments of grief. He shows up back to the disciples, and then this whole story kind of wraps up, and he goes back to be with the Father, and he sends the Spirit to be with them, and now the Spirit is with us, and so we are the continuation of that story. And so resurrection is the key to Jesus' promise of your grief will turn to joy And we see that in God's kingdom, there's resurrection for dead and for broken things. For the disciples, resurrection was seeing Jesus rise from the dead and then receive, all of them receive the Holy Spirit. God was not going to leave them. He was not going to be far off. But Jesus' promise of I will never leave you or forsake you becomes fulfilled and the Spirit comes and is with humanity as they seek and allow themselves to be sought by God. And so they were being invited to adopt a resurrection life mindset. If you're taking notes, this might be a phrase that helps encapsulate a lot of what we're talking about today. Um, They were being invited to adopt a resurrection life mindset about how to live in grief 
that moment and then all the moments moving forward. Jesus' resurrection and sending of the Holy Spirit was the birth of humanity being able to live this resurrection life. Living in light of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. I'm going to say it one more time. Jesus' resurrection up on the screens, Jesus' resurrection and sending of the Holy Spirit was the birth of humanity being able to live this resurrection life now. Living in light of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. Isn't it amazing that we live at this point in time? I mean, just in reading this chapter 16 of the disciples, they were obviously super confused, right? They're discussing amongst themselves, what is Jesus talking? Now we're at this point in time in 2018. No joke, I actually had to Google what year it was two days ago. I, I couldn't remember. I felt so dumb. Um, but we're at a point in time where we can now read the scriptures and we actually I mean, not fully, but we get it. Like, we can see the whole picture. We live in an incredible time. And so it's a gift that Jesus' resurrection now is, it's a principle of how it works to live in God's kingdom. And so for some of us, in uh, some moments, we may feel and experience Jesus' resurrection um, in that moment, his presence with us. Um, We may have hope in a moment of grief, But others of us don't experience that in certain other seasons. Some of us, um, it may be later. And so whether you are in, if you're in grief now, whether you feel the presence of God and restoration happening or not, the key is still that Jesus has come back from the dead, that the worst of the worst has actually been defeated, and that new life is actually coming. And that one day all wrongs will be made right, And broken things will be made whole. John gives us a profound insight in Revelation 21. I'll put it up on the screen. Well, actually, I won't. People in the back will. Uh, Revelation 21. If you need a tattoo, this is a good one. Uh, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. Oh, and parents. Sorry, I use that line sometimes at youth. If if your young people get tons of tattoos. Um, Well, at least they'll be Bible-y stuff. Um, (laughs) Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Does anyone know what the sea was a picture or a symbol of back in this time? I heard, I heard it, chaos. Yeah, it was chaos. And there was no longer any chaos. Verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will come and dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Verse five, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And maybe this is why Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth, so it's now the book of Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, he says this, and this is from God, kind of picking up in the middle of something, and this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Messiah Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's our life work, by the way. You want to know what your, what your calling in life is? It's right there. It's the ministry. It's the ongoing work in relationship with other people towards reconciliation. 
So I wonder if that's why Paul wrote this, because it's practicing what is to come. It's seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and bringing it into today. This is our life work, and it all flows, excuse me, and it flows in every situation and in every moment, regardless of your job or your pay or your level. It doesn't, like, level in your company. It doesn't, it's every moment. It's all around us. And so um, here's where we're going to land the plane. What does all of this stuff mean for us today? Two uh, thoughts, and then uh, the band will come back up. What does it mean for my buddy and his wife? And what does it mean for that family that's going in this hospital cycle with a young person that's just stuck in a dark place? Um, what does it ma- mean for the man who, who lost his friend? His um, friend, what does it mean for you if you're in that space? Or if this is a back pocket teaching for you, that day that that thing does happen? And again, I don't, I guess I didn't say it, so I can't say again. I don't want you to, um, this whole thing that Jesus is saying is not bad things are going to happen. What he's saying is when things break down, it will turn to joy. And that's the focus, right? But what does it mean for all these people and for us to know that God is with us and with them and promises restoration? Thought number one. For some of us today, uh, the pain, the chaos, the death, the difficulty, uh, whether, again, it's internal or external, for relational, financial, feeling alone, abandoned, betrayed, or again, racked with fear from recognizing that we have no control over certain things. And all, they're all real things that cause us pain and, and grief. For us, Jesus invites us to live this resurrection life by remembering that in his kingdom, our grief will be turned to joy. Right? It's a kingdom principle. If you're a part of God's family, you get to believe this and you get to build your life around it. It's just how it works. It's a gift. To hold on and to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing that restoration will come. That's a pretty good story in life, right? And uh, for others of us, um, it may be a bit broader the grief of our own shame and guilt that we carry from the sin, the stuff that we know is not God's best. Um, The grief and guilt that we carry from that, it can be given to Jesus in exchange for this resurrection life we're talking about. He actually on the cross took all that and put it in the grave and left it in the grave and says, come follow me. Live this resurrection, this freedom life where it's not gonna be easy, It's not going to be perfect, but guess what? You have this kingdom principle in mind now. Keep going and be in practice of a a lifestyle of reconciling all things around you, people, relationships. Uh, You cheated on your tax, go fix it. You know, like do, sorry if I just (laughs) ruined your day. Um, Like make stuff right. That's the work of the kingdom. And it's not, it's not over. You're not going to, it's going to work. It's going to work. And so, um, I'm going to invite you guys as we uh, sing these next couple songs that if there is someone in your world or if it's you that's in this space of grief, um, to have a conversation with Jesus about it. And uh, he's not afraid. He already knows about it. Um, And so to have a conversation with him. And if you're having a lot of difficulty seeing joy, seeing how anything good could ever, how it could ever be tied up whether it's next week or in eternity, 
I just want you to ask. I don't know if he'll give it to you in this moment, but I want you to ask, help me see. Help me see how, how your resurrection can change this. And if he asks you to do something, let's say it's a relationship, and, it's so, and he asks you to do something, I want you to do this, guess what you probably get to need to do, right? We listen and we obey, but it's gonna work. It's gonna work. So we're gonna sing. If you guys wanna stand, you can stand. If you wanna sit, you can sit. Um, and these, the band's gonna lead us.